I'm Emily Kyle and this is Local. This is part two of a conversation with Sophie Souter. This episode contains graphic content concerning mental illness, violence, family discord and pharmaceutical medication. Please be kind to yourself when listening and remember you don't need to listen at all. This is a poem about reconciliation. Your sister in a coma. I'm thinking about Latham Street behind the hospital, butted on the frosty southwest side of the sand hill, where my cousin died accidentally playing outside. I'm thinking about your brother swilling beer and camel smokes, pub corner doors, walking past rancid, murmuring, open summer windows down the street. A classic deco butcher hanging beasts, becoming corned beef, mashed potatoes, parsley sauce, carrots and broad beans. By phone from Latham Street, we waited out. We learn while mum is in Devonport maternity, we have another sister. Dad walks every day to work, out the door, past the cage, back at home, where our budgies starve to death, found on their backs, legs in the air like mum giving birth. He loves all animals, but she's the one that fed them. I'm thinking about my aunt, so distant for decades, being your sister, I'm thinking it's lucky she survived and went home to the West and how I felt ringing her number and taking that step. Okay, so the other two questions that I've been thinking about are um, if you, I guess, how, how would you describe the West Coast to someone who doesn't know it or more specifically Queenstown because Queenstown sort of and Queenstown and Zeehan is it are the sort of the places that you've been I've been all over the west coast yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe the, maybe west coast more broadly would in, be in general yeah um it's an amazing wild beautiful place and I guess you've got to really get out there and have a look but to to the right kind of people it really captures them and is very giving and rewarding I think um, I love this place. <laughs> I like that. Giving and rewarding. Definitely. Mm. And it's so beautiful in its own way. Mm. Yeah. And how would you describe the people living in the communities out here? Very unique, um, strong and different in a way, you know, in a good way. Um yeah, I don't know. I think we're a different bunch of people down here, you know, always willing to help others in time of need 
and just, you know, hardworking, good people, really. Mm. Yeah. You know, we had recorded the other day and I guess what I really want to focus on with you is uh, your your home, your childhood home. Yeah. And your family, your mother, what it was like. If you could talk a little bit about what home life was like for you as a child. Okay, so my mum got sick when I was probably five years old when we were living in Burnie and um, she just had a major breakdown and she packed herself up and got in the car and drove herself to Spencer Clinic in Wynyard, which has now been demolished. It, Spencer was a mental asylum basically. So I remember going and visiting her with my dad and my brother and my sister and the first thing I remember when we got in there was the the floor was black and white tiles set out like a chessboard mm. and um, I found that, looking back now, I find that quite um, bizarre, you know, to say the least and so I remember going and seeing my mum and she was that drugged on lithium and whatever else they were giving her that she didn't even recognise her own children. That was the first and last time we went and saw her there. Um, she was gone for probably a month, I think, and in that period of time my dad couldn't work so he was at home looking after me, my elder sister and my young brother. And we were living on um, rice, tomato sauce and melted butter. That was his specialty of his cooking. And so mum was good for a few years after that and then we moved back to Queenstown. Mum was okay for, for a few years and then she got unwell again with bipolar and schizophrenia and she flipped out. She smashed all, all her glassware, destroyed all her antiques and ended up being taken away by the police and the ambulance back up to Burnie to the Spencer Clinic, which is now at the Burnie Hospital. That was pretty much what life was like, you know, for until I left home basically. Like she'd have times where she was good and medicated. She'd go off her medication and just become extremely delusional, um, very manic. So she'd have her highs where she'd just constantly cook, cook, cook. And then she'd be so low, she wouldn't get out of bed, she'd cry over everything. Um, she started hoarding as well. Her house now is just full of stuff, basically, and um, her kitchen table's full of stuff, but she seems to think that she knows where absolutely everything is. Yeah, it's it was hard and it was sad to watch such an um, intelligent talented woman struggle with with mental illness and it was something you know you can fix a broken arm or a broken leg but to fix someone's brain it's it's a lot more complex and technical and what works for one person may not work for the other you know like um yeah I've, I've helped her go through things and I found a handbag with birthday cards that she'd written in from, you know, five years ago that she didn't post, you know what I mean, like to my brother and my sister and letters that she'd written to friends that she just didn't get around to kind of posting and then became unwell and it kind of just got pushed to the side and uh, I don't know, it's 
how would you feel? Do you know what I mean? Finding these things and thinking, where did the time go? Like, why didn't I post these things, you know? Um, yeah, but when I was younger, like at school, I'd rather be out and not at home, you know, because it was just so unpredictable and things could just turn bad really really quickly I guess like when I first got my period she I didn't really understand what was going on mum never really spoke about those kinds of things and she told me to just go get some toilet paper (laughs) and so my dad um went and brought me pads and stuff which was really sweet kind of thing yeah did your dad try to talk to you about what was going on did your mum try to talk to you about what was going on with like periods and stuff with the with the mental illness yeah um not really like dad felt very torn between his wife and his kids he kind of done everything to just keep mum happy and Mm. not you know it's really hard to kind of explain like mum was his main priority kind of thing which Mm. is pretty crap I guess for us but as as we got older we kind of started to understand what was going on um there wasn't a lot of support for us from services which was pretty sad because if if we had of had that support we would have had a more of an understanding I guess you know Mm. like and I I still see it now like my dad is still so torn between not so much his kids, but just agreeing with mum just to kind of keep her happy, which is sad because my dad doesn't have a good relationship with my brother anymore and I know that breaks my dad's heart, but then I kind of get where my brother's coming from as well. But I kind of sit on the fence and think, like, it's not mum's fault. It's not dad's fault either. It was just something that happened, I guess, and, you know, no one's really to blame and you can blame whoever you want but it's not going to change the way that things were, do you know what I mean? When you were five and the first sort of episode yep. happened, yep. when you look back on that time, is there something that you can see now about why it happened? I'm not really 100% sure. So I've done a fair bit of research myself and I think it's um, between the ages of like 16 and 28 or something that if if you're going to develop a mental illness it will happen between that kind of period of your life um my brother was very young so he would have only been three I think so maybe the pressure of having three kids um my dad working as well maybe that could have triggered it but I I know that it's hereditary and that my mum's mother also suffered from mental illness as well. Like, so maybe it was just in her genes. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. before she got unwell, she was, she used to design and model her own clothes. Like, she was a brilliant cook. She was a brilliant artist. Like, she kept a really beautiful home. She loved antiques. She loved stripping them back and doing them up. She loved gardening. Like, I remember. Our garden, our veggie garden in Burnie, like our broad beans were taller than us, you know, and we'd kind of play in the garden and hide in the beans and stuff. And, yeah, like it was, it just happened so quickly, I guess. And and the the change was 
incredible, you know, and to look back and, you know, like where where would she be today if she didn't become unwell, you know, like she could have done or been anything, you know, like, yeah, it's it's crazy. You said that, you know, there would be times where she would be stable. Yep. In those times was she more like herself, more like the way she was before, or was it different? It was different. There was always a bit of her there, but I've noticed as the years have gone on, the longer that she's unwell, the harder it is to get her back. And even when she is back, it's not who she used to be, if that makes sense. Like, I feel that Eventually she'll be gone, if that makes sense. Mm. It sounds horrible, but it's, you know, I don't know, I believe. And it um, affects her memory as well. It's it's just crap. <laughs> feel, absolutely feel free. Any, any question that I ask, please don't feel that you need to answer it. Um, no, like I'm quite happy to. I don't, you know. I'm thinking about your relationship with your mum and I'm wondering if you because throughout your life and, and throughout your childhood in a in a time where it would have been very difficult for you to have understood what was happening to her what was going on I'm wondering if you feel that you have grieved the loss of your mother or if, if perhaps maybe you're still grieving her that that's like a really good question um it's really hard. Like sometimes I feel it sounds horrible, but if she died I could just grieve her and move on. But you don't have that and you don't have that closure. And when she's unwell, she can say the most awfulest things and it, it's heartbreaking to hear your mother say, you know, you're a murderer or um you abuse your children and all this kind of stuff. But then when she's better, she won't acknowledge what she said and you never get an apology. So mm. that's really, um, you know, whereas, you know, if me, and do, me or you do something wrong, we apologise for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas I don't get that from her. Um, I don't know. It's really, it's, it's really hard. Um, you know, your mother's meant to be, you know, you're biggest role model in your life as a female um and it's you know uh, she's not that do you know what I mean but I've got to just accept that that's the way she is and she's never going to be 100% better but I've just got to make the most of the time when she is good you know like mm. and it might might just be going up there and, you know, sitting with all her stuff and just having coffee and just talking about random stuff and the books that she writes, she, she's constantly writing she's got about 500 notebooks on the go and all these great ideas for stories and and that and lots of great ideas for sewing as well and just spending time with her when I can is is the most important thing to me. But, yeah, there is a part of me that is constantly in limbo of grieving but not grieving but being hurt and not getting closure, not getting an apology. 
like that's really conflicting inside. Does that make sense at all? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. But that's something, you know, that I've, I guess, had to accept in a sense, but it's very hard to, you know. Mm, because you know that the this cycle of behaviour isn't right it, it, and, it, and it's certainly not, um, it's not kind no, to you, no. you know, but it's not something that is fixable or changeable. No, and um, she can't help it either, you know, like, mm. which I think is is hard to accept as well. And, like, I've spent that much time talking to her psychiatrist, pestering the absolute crap out of them because, you know, I'm not happy with where she is but um, they've changed her medication that many times. Um, they've put her in hospital. She's come out of hospital but she's stable enough at the moment, you know, even though what she'll have three good days and then there'll be a week where she's just in a really black mood and you can't go near her, don't make contact with her or she'll just tear your head off and say awful things. Um, yeah, she has really bad reactions to some of the medication. So at the moment her legs and her feet are so swollen and um, they weep. Yeah, like I can understand a bit why the doctors don't want to muck around with the medication too much as well, you know. It must be really, I think, another particularly particularly difficult aspect of the relationship that you have with your mother is that, you know, you've said that you need to accept it because it's not her fault. But I'm sure there are times where you just, you feel so angry with her and, and, and perhaps even feel like you're not allowed to feel angry with her because yeah. it's not her fault or... Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't imagine where where those feelings, where do you put, where would a person even put those feelings? Oh, I don't know. They're in here somewhere. <laughs> I guess I've just learned to kind of deal with it, I guess, and just accept it pretty much. But not, but I have to, you know, because mm. there's no, no amount of jumping up and down or, you know, getting angry. It does not change anything, you know, so, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So when you were a little girl, home was not somewhere that you particularly wanted to be then? No, definitely not. Yeah. I think that it's, I do think that it's interesting that I feel like I, I feel like I was brought up personally with a childhood where it was very much, especially sort of, you know, living living in a, a lot of these different places, but living in a, in a time where, you know, technology was becoming more and more mainstream and there were these new dangers that were outside of the home and that were, that had always been there, but that we weren't particularly aware of. And so my home was very much positioned as a child as this is the safe place. Yep. And whatever's out there is the scary thing. And and your experience is very much the inverse. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I would rather be anywhere else than home. Do you know what I mean? Like we, that's why we just spent a lot of time out camping, doing our own thing, 
not so much in town, but we were happy to be out in the bush doing doing what we wanted, basically. I was just, yeah, I, I do know that we spoke about it a little bit the other day, but I recently saw a series of work called Play and it was a photographic series of this uh, family who had... Um, lost one of their parents and it was these photographs of children out in the bush and they would build up these little huts and and um build up these like walkways and then they'd go through and then they'd they'd burn it all down yeah and then they, they had these little tomahawks and stuff and they'd be out there and chopping things up and then they'd rebuild it and it was almost like they were out in, in in the wilderness and it was a place that they felt that they could be creative and destructive and creative and destructive and yeah. get some of these feelings out. Yep. Even if it wasn't a conscious thought that yep. that's what they were doing. Yep. And, um, yeah, you know, the last time we spoke you sort of referenced um, Tomorrow When the War Began. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was interesting because it is – it. It must have felt almost like it was a war, this dangerous place, your home, you're not knowing what's happening next and you're going to this place that's your safe haven. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just wondering a, a little bit more about, you know, what what you did do out there, you know, what you built or what you cooked or... Yeah, we'd set up our camps but we spent a lot of time walking, like um, up Bow Street where... Debbie Jago used to live, there's a dam off to the right and it would take probably an hour to walk up there and um, we'd take motorbikes or we'd walk it, but we'd have campsites all, all the way up, you know. Um, then there'd be the pine gardens where we'd also camp and we'd just hang out with our music and build fires and cook two-minute noodles with a go back then and sometimes we'd sneak a few beers up there and we'd swim in the dam I remember swimming one day and um, I can't swim personally and my friend didn't believe me that I couldn't swim and she kind of dragged me out where I couldn't touch the bottom of the of the dam and I started pushing her under to try and save myself and she was a really strong swimmer but I just went into survival mode. It was like, you know, I, I need to survive here. She managed to get a hand up <laughs> to say we're drowning and all the people on the, the land, thought we were just mucking around. And um, one one fella kind of clicked, like, they're drowning, like, and jumped in and saved us. And and my friend said to me, when someone says they can't swim, I'm, I'm going to believe them from now on, like. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's probably yeah, a good idea. Probably. <laughs> yeah. But then I remember also, like, mushroom season, like there'd be the toadstools and that and it, you know, we'd joke that there are fairies and that and I don't know, it was just beautiful up there, everywhere. Up the sand hill, we used to go up the sand hill as well and have little fires up there as well and everywhere, we'd go everywhere. It was great. Would you say that you're still a good fire maker? Definitely. I'm a bit of a pyro. <laughs> I reckon if you ask a lot of people my age, they can say they can all start a fire. From here anyway, you know. Yeah, when I first came here I had to learn how to make a fire. Yep, yep. So, still not great but um, I'll get um, there. Yeah, jiffies, jiffies are good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd go up the rifle range, up the, what's it called? We used to call it Satan Star. 
Someone had actually built like a big star with the rocks on top oh, there. Wow. And we got there in camp as well and Barney's Hole, which is where the old chairlift used to go. Mm. Um, and there's a big like sand slide. We'd play on that as well. And, yeah, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. Was your mum, were your parents aware of where Probably you were going? not to the extent like of everything but uh, I think dad was more focused on mum mum didn't really care or she it's not that she didn't care I just guess she wasn't in the right frame of mind to really care do you know what I mean Mm. so yeah I don't think they fully knew exactly everything that we did but yeah do you when you look back on your childhood, do you, did you feel love from your mum? Um, when I was really young, yes, definitely, but um, not, um, geez, from like nine to when I came home from WA when I was pregnant with my eldest son, that's... I came home and stayed with mum and dad and um, mum made me sleep with her and she she cuddled me and cried and that was, like, pretty beautiful. Yeah. Mm. And now sometimes she'll tell me that she loves me um, but it's not, I don't know, you see other mothers and daughters, it's definitely not like that, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Um, but I know that she does love me, you know. I don't question that, but I think it's hard for her to to show those emotions as well, I guess, which is sad because I never want my children to ever feel like that, you know. Um, Mm. I don't think they ever will. No, neither do I. (laughs) But I'll make sure of that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so... It's really a big learning kind of thing, I guess. Mm. Accepting people for who they are and things they can't change or help about themselves. They still need to be shown kindness and, and love in the world, don't they? They do. I I will say that I think what what you've been able to achieve emotionally for yourself in being able to empathise so deeply with your mother to the, the point where you can hold hold your emotions, hold your feelings and her feelings at the same time, that feels pretty superhuman. It's not always been like this. It's taken a long time for me to get to where I am now, you know. There was a, a when I was younger, I was a very angry and... Um, a messed up child, do you know what I mean? Like definitely like my mum and my home life had a massive impact on me and it's taken me a long time to to be the person that I am today. But I'm not, um, I don't use like mum's mental health as the reasons as to why I, um, you know, did did the wrong things that I've done. Um, I own that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't need a free ticket to kind of say, you know, my mum was like this, I could be an arsehole, you know, that's mm. not, I don't 
see it like that, you know, but then I don't. Um, everything I've done in my life has made me who I am today, so I can accept that. I think not just accepting my mum but accepting myself as well and knowing that, you know, I was pretty messed up, you know, and I guess I kind of had the right to but, you know, to take a step back and and say I don't I don't want to be that person, you know, like I want to I want to be better and I don't want to be angry, you know, because it doesn't doesn't get you anywhere, you know. No. And you probably talking to me now, you think, oh my God, you know, you be angry. Like I was very angry when I was younger and um yeah. I've grown and learned from all of it. Mm. Yeah. Well that's it. I guess that's a dream, isn't it? That we figure something out along the way and things get easier. They do. Or just um accepting, I think. Not just everything around you, but yourself as well. Like and I, I didn't expect for this to sort of come up in our conversation and um, I, I, I'll just I'll make this the, the last thing, the last question. Okay. Because I know that <laughs> it's very heavy. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking about when you had your first child and, yeah. then, and then also later on when you had your, your next two, three lovely boys. <laughs> When I had Henry, I mean, I think people say it, but I, I never expected how much after his birth for, for I, I would say, the first couple of years, how much I thought about my own childhood, yeah, how much I thought about my mother and how she parented me, how much I thought about my grandmother and how she parented my mother and was a grand, grandmother for me. Yep. And, um, yeah, I guess... I'm wondering what your experience has been like as you sort of move through that that threshold of becoming a mother for the first time and then becoming a mother again. And how did that experience affect you in, in understanding your mother? When I had Angus, I was in Western Australia. My mum didn't come over or anything. It was just me and my partner at the time. Oh. It was weird, you know, you when you have a baby you expect your mum to kind of be there. Do you know what I mean? Um it was it was weird. Um but uh, I struggled, like it would have been great to have that female role model there, you know, like I had uh, my partner's stepmum. She's never had kids before though, so I guess it was new for her as well, you know, to kind of have this baby. She's also not your mum. No, I know, and it's it's really weird. Yeah, it was it was different, and I just tried to be a good mum. Is what I did, and and it was hard as well when when my partner left me. Like Angus was only nine months old, and I was like, oh my god, like what do I do? Where do I go from here? You know, I've got no family, just a few good friends. I kind of went off the rails a bit over there and then it got to the point where I knew I just I had to come back here. I knew that this was where I had to be and, and that's what I did. But, um, yeah, I don't know, I, I kind of just winged it, you know, <laughs> without mum because that's, I guess, what you've got to do, isn't it? 
but it's it's massive becoming a mother yourself and, you know, uh, I, I don't know if, if mum ever thinks, wow, like I missed out on so much or, you know, wow, I wish I could go back and be a part of those special moments with my kids. I don't. I don't know if she even thinks like that, you know. Um, but like with a lot of things, you don't you don't have that option to kind of to stop, to um, to give up when you've got little people that rely on you. You know, like you've got to do it for them as well. But in doing that, I guess you do it for yourself as well. And ta da! Yeah, I think <laughs> I think in a lot of ways. And this is just me from the outside looking in. Yeah, but yeah. um Yeah, it does it does sound to me like you're oh I don't know if this sounds really hippy dippy, but it, in in the redefining what being a mother is for for your for your boys. It's almost like you're doing the job of mothering for yourself as well. I guess so. <laughs> I'm still learning. I've never been, you know, a mother of a 14-year-old, a 6-year-old and a 7-year-old. Every day is learning for me, you know, and them as well. I'm definitely not a perfect mum, you know, like we all have our moments. But, um, yeah, it's definitely um, I think it's helped me in, in ways and opened my eyes a lot more and, you know, if if anything, I think it just... There's a sadness in me that my mum has missed out on so much and she'll never get that back, you know, but you can't you can't focus on that. You've got to keep moving forward and make the most of the good times, I think, yeah. Do you feel sad for yourself that um, there's a, a kind of mothering or a kind of childhood that you missed out on? A little bit, I guess. But what do you do with that, you know? Do you let it consume you and destroy you as a person or do you try and and make it better, you know? There were times when it could have totally destroyed me but I don't want that. No. <laughs> you know, like um, I, I don't know. I feel so in control of my life um, and I believe that I've, I've got choices and, you know, I... I do make wrong choices sometimes, don't get me wrong, but um, I choose to not let that destroy me, you know, because it's a waste, mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I do. Yeah. You're right. This is like therapy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. No, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that's um, thank you so much. That's okay. Like I, it's nice to talk and it's good to talk about things that people find hard to talk about. Like, you know, I think it's important for people to talk about things that are hard to talk about. Mm. And, you know, I know this is my story, but I know that there are thousands of people in Australia, in Tassie, that are affected by mental illness in so many different ways, like worse than my mum. Do you know what I mean? And, you know... I hope that there is more support today for kids with parents with mental illness, um, the families, you know, than what there was back then when I was little and even as a teen, like, you know, because 
it, it's hard and it, it can, like, really affect people, I think. And it shouldn't be made harder by just a lack of services or a lack yeah. of funding for services. Or, or lack of understanding and, mm. you know, so so much um, discrimination and stereotypes around it. I mean, the the sick people can't help it and definitely, like, their kids and family can't help it either. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. That's all right. I'm glad that... That I did. Yeah. Good, I'm glad. Cool, cool. This was local. This project would not be possible without the incredible community of folks who make time to chat nor would it be possible without the tremendous support of the West Coast community. If this episode offered you something good, please consider rating the show via Apple Podcasts. The podcast is produced by Carter Pierce and myself. Digital media is supported by Tess Gilfeder. Our artwork was made by Gigi Quartz. The podcast is funded in part by the Regional Arts Fund. For more information on the podcast and its guests, please go to localthepodcast.com or localthepodcast on Facebook and Instagram.